Well, why don't we get started together? Thanks for coming back at the end of a marathon weekend for many of you who are here Thursday night, Friday night, uh, yesterday, this morning, this evening. So now my precious friend Lance, who asked me to do this, is working in the nursery so that you can be here. So that's, that's, that's love, but I promise you he's heard all these songs a lot. <laughs> With the, I think I'm doing maybe one new thing he hasn't heard tonight, so... Um, as I mentioned this morning, Lance asked, would you just put together some songs that are kind of in keeping with this theme? They're not all tied to marriage and family, but the majority of them are uh, songs that were written sort of in that context. This opening one is really a charge to men. It's an old hymn set to new music. It's the hymn, Rise Up, O Men of God. It has great lines like this, the, how long will the church have to wait for us to be who God calls us to be? Uh, God's kingdom tarries long that, uh, that in, in part... Obviously, the, the date of Christ's return is fixed sovereignly, but, but God appoints ends to his means, and in part, men, uh, the, the, the idea the hymn writer hints at is, look, when you get your act together, you help usher in the return of Jesus Christ, and, and so just sort of a charge to us as men to rise up and be who God has called us to be, and uh, then I'll do some songs that I wrote for, uh, for various weddings, and then some songs I wrote for my children when they were little uh, then some songs I wrote for my kids when they were a little bigger, and uh, then some songs I picked with Beth in mind, and uh, and then we'll go home, okay? So, so this opening one, a new melody to uh, an old hymn, Rise Up, O Men of God. Serve the King of Kings. Rise up, 
Rise up, O men of God. Rise up, O men of God. How long will the church have to wait? Or you could put it this way. How long will your wife have to wait? Maybe worse, how long will your children have to wait? The church's strength unequal to her task. Rise up and make her great. Make her the cross of Christ tread where his feet hath trod as brothers of the Son of Man rise up O men of God rise up rise up O men of God things give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the king of kings rise up rise up rise up rise up oh men of God Um, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem as popular now, but when I got married, everybody did a unity candle. My wife and I did one, and the mothers walk in representing the life that they brought to this partnership. And, and those two candles are put in a candelabra during the ceremony, and then at one point, the bride and the groom come, and they light a new candle, just a, a picture, an image of the extinguishing of individual lives coming into one life. And So there's a young lady in the church, those of you who grew up in Little Rock, this would be Deanna Bennett, so Leonard, Leonard and Howard's daughter. And she asked me, she said, uh, she said, Todd, would you sing at my wedding? Would you write something for the unity candle? And she was a good musician, and she said, my problem with the unity candle songs is they're always too long. Uh, and so could it just be like a one verse, one chorus song? Because it's an awkward moment for the bride and the groom who stand there after they've lit their candle. Well, we're done. <laughs> now what? So I, I wrote a very short song for her. Then later, a friend of mine uh, invited me to participate in, um, I think it was their 15-year anniversary. And there was a surprise thing going on. And so now half a song didn't seem to work anymore. But uh, so this is a whole song, has two whole verses and a chorus. But, it, but it, it opens with this line because you have to picture that this is the song sung just after vows are taken. And so, so the opening line is, we've just made promises we have no strength to keep. Spoken vows far beyond our comprehension. Uh, but in one sense, even if you aren't in the middle of a wedding ceremony, there, there's still that sense of, Lord, we, we made promises when we were young that we had no clue what the demands on that would be. So this would be, uh, I think, the, uh, the first wedding song that I wrote many years ago called In You Alone.
We have just made promises We have no strength to keep Spoken vows Far beyond our comprehension We have listened to standards Far beyond our reach While our failures Seem too numerous to mention But in you alone We can set our selfish hearts aside In you alone We can overcome our sinful pride In you alone Two separate hearts can beat as one In you alone we're joined And we will never be undone in you alone we're holding fast In you alone our love will last For a lifetime So as we start this brand new life we call upon your name Knowing you can keep us through our joy and sorrow For unless the Lord builds the house Our labor is in vain Only you can lead us safely through tomorrow for in you alone we can set our selfish hearts aside in you alone we can overcome our sinful pride in you alone two separate hearts can beat as one in you joined and we will never be undone Lord in you alone we're holding fast in you alone our love will last for a lifetime Lord in you alone we're holding Fast. In you alone our love will last for a lifetime. <laughs> that is our only hope for sure. Thank you. Well, on Memorial Day, our, uh, our middle daughter Blair got married, and of course she had asked me months before the wedding, because I'd written a song for her other two siblings who were married, Daddy, I hope you're working on the song, and I said, since the day he first asked you out, I started working on the song. We love our new son-in-law. We just took our first family vacation together that included our new son-in-law, and he is the most, you know what it's like to be, well, like Beth. Beth is, Beth is... 
childlike without being childish. I mean, childish would be an insult to an adult. That would mean immaturity. But childlikeness is a great trait, and our son is, is childlike in his gratitude and his openness. He is uh, honest to a fault and uh, a relatively young but growing believer, and we, we just love him, and his name is Alec. And So we took Alec with us on a family vacation to Cape Cod. That's our favorite family hideaway. We've been going there for 34, 35 years. And so when you're taking someone new somewhere that you love and have packed with tons of memories, then you, uh, you really want them to like it with you. And so my first son-in-law who went, he said that this is very pretty because he's not a super expressive guy. But Alec is like this. Oh, this is the coziest place I've ever been. That is the most beautiful maple tree. This is the best lobster. It was just, it's like the most gratifying thing. To, and so watching Blair, our daughter, show him all her favorite childhood bookstores and antique stores and the boardwalk and sandwich. And it was just a whole lot of fun. So, so he's just been in the family a very short time. And uh, he really spent the last year, I would say. I, I've kind of been arguing with his dad over which of us was going to claim him as a dependent in 2019. Because he ate way more meals at my house than his house, I could tell you that. And so, uh, so as I was thinking about for them, musically, I knew Blair's song. Of all my, I have three daughters. Of my three daughters, she is definitely the most princessy one. So she was the most blingy, glittery one. My favorite Blair story is, <laughs> she would kill me. She's not here. <laughs> um, when she was a little girl, we put her down for a nap one day. And in her room, there was, we had a, an antique uh, bisque doll in an antique wicker stroller, and it had a long linen, uh, like a a christening gown in it, right? And so she gets up during her nap and takes off her clothes and puts the christening gown on herself. Now, it has a a little pearl button in the back and an oval cutout right here. Well, she's turned it where the oval cutout is here, and if you're a little girl, then the oval cutout is here. (laughs) And so I'm outside working in the backyard thinking my daughter's asleep, and she comes downstairs, and she's got on uh, plastic you know, princess shoes and this christening gown dragging the sidewalk and, and, and shamelessly comes, you know, outside while I'm weeding in the garden and, and I just act like I don't see her and I hear the click, 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 click of the plastic shoes <laughs> and she comes walking up to me and, and I looked up at her and I said, yes. And she said, Daddy, I'm not immodest. I'm just pretending to be immodest. <laughs> wow, well, why don't you stop pretending to sin and get upstairs and get in your real clothes and go back to bed, please. And I guess she did. So, so no, I promise Blair has grown up. Great, another great Blair story. <laughs> Once, one Mother's Day, I decided to take the children, you know, I'm going to take the kids shopping for Mother's Day. So they each have a budget. We're going to Target. And I explain as we go in, we're not going in the toy section. We're not going in the video section or the book section. This trip is all about mommy. And so they they pick out their gifts. I remember poor Glenn, he was like four. He picked out, my wife is uh, very feminine, so it's not that she's anti-pink, but he picks out the the screamingly loudest, huge pink purse that you could imagine. And I tried so hard to talk him out of it, because that's just not Tandy. She's not loud or, you know, blingy at all. And so, so, but he was just convinced, no, she will love it. And I just can't argue with a four-year-old. And she carried that purse for a year. That's what moms do. Dads would have said, no way. So, uh, so as we're leaving, Blair's in the, in the stroller, the Target cart, and I'm going out to the car. And she said, but Daddy, we didn't go to the toys. We didn't go to the net. I said, Blair, I said, we, remember Daddy told you this trip, was, this trip is not about you. It's just all about Mommy. 
And so, you know, we come here to get gifts. I know. She said, but can I tell you something? I said, sure. She goes, I do like it better when it's all about me. <laughs> I said, yeah, you and about 7.2 billion other people on the planet. We all like it better when it's all about us. So I'm putting her in a very bad light. This is a godly young woman. These are just funny stories I forgot to tell you over the weekend. So... So when she got married, I knew this musically, uh, that it had to be, a, uh, I mean, it had to be a waltz. It had to be a Cinderella-like waltz. I just knew. So whether anybody else ever picks on that or not, as a composer, I'm just going, it has to be in 3-4. And it has to feel like a waltz because this was my not immodest but pretending to be a modest princess girl. So, so I, I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, I had felt... When I wrote my second child's wedding song, I realized it had sort of been focused on my childhood memories of her. And I remember as I sang it at, my, at her older sister's wedding if, several years before that, uh, I remember thinking, you know what? I've sort of accidentally shut the groom's family out. And so this time I had just more awareness. I wanted this to be a song, not just what I remember about my daughter, but what any parent would remember about their child. And so I, I tried to open up the memories to a little broader in this one. So... Uh, I, I learned something from some of those other songs. And then I knew I wanted to include a passage of Scripture. And, and because of, uh, of Alec's uh, uh, profound but childlike faith in Christ, the dramatic change in the last two or three years that have gone on in his life, um, I, I chose the, you know, what, what else could a bride and groom need more than Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? So you're about to start something, you have no idea how this is going to go. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So the chorus is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The verses are uh, this waltzing melody uh, with uh, trying to include uh, my new in-laws as well. So, so uh, this is called Two Becoming One. it be that your childhood has passed oh picture this i sang this in the wedding no no pressure no tearjerker moment at all <laughs> and jerry my my dear friend and colleague in ministry the way the guys had to move off the stage to you know some people be able to see me uh, so i have jerry my ministry you know dear friend like lance standing literally right at my shoulder and he's crying <laughs> stop sniffling not helpful at all so How can it be that your childhood has passed? Where did the time go? The years went so fast. Yesterday you were playing with toys. Now you're tasting of life's deeper joys. Now you stand here, a bride and a groom with your loved ones and family all filling the room to witness the vows as they're spoken what you promise to God can't be broken so trust in the Lord with all of your heart do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge Him, 
and he will direct your path. So trust in the Lord, don't give way to fear. Cling to Christ through your laughter and tears. On this journey you've begun, the journey of two becoming one. As a man, it's your calling to love and to lead. As a woman, you'll follow and make him complete. As you both learn to play your new role, make forgiveness and patience your goal. For Christ is the pattern for both husband and wife. In his humble submission and self-sacrifice When you can't find your way and feel lost Look to Jesus and remember his cross And trust in the Lord with all of your heart And don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways Acknowledge Him He will direct your path So trust in the Lord Don't give way to fear Cling to Christ through your laughter and tears On this journey you've begun The journey of two becoming one you two are so perfect for each other we can't help but celebrate now what god has joined together let no man let no man separate oh trust in the lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he will direct your path trust in the Lord don't give way to fear cling to Christ through your laughter and tears on this journey you've begun the journey of two becoming one follow him on this journey you've begun the journey of two to become
I mentioned to you that uh, our family structure is a little not typical. We have uh, children who are 31 and 29, and then we have a nine-year gap, and then have our 20-year-old newlywed, uh, an 18-year-old college freshman still living at home, and uh, a 16-year-old still at home with us. And maybe just a word of explanation about that nine-year gap. Um, the delivery of our second child was uh, was somewhat traumatic. As a matter of fact, right after my daughter was born, this nurse pulled me into the corner and just gave me a tongue lashing that terrified me and said, I hope you realize that your wife's own natural birthing plan almost cost you your wife and your daughter's life. And I started trembling. And for the first six months of Heather's life, I, I had nightmares at night about losing Tandy and, and the baby. And so uh, I just entered a chapter of, I'm not going through that again. I'm not running that risk again. And so just kind of dominated by fear. And, um, and so about eight years later, I just really just felt a lot of remorse that we had not had more kids. And so if you just had two, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. It was just the reason we stopped having kids was, was just fear and unbelief on my part. Plus a degree of selfishness as well. I remember Tandy asking me, uh, you know, a couple of years after Heather had been born, so what are you thinking? Do you want any more? And, and I was just like, I remember saying to her, I just got my wife back. Um, you know, I love Tandy shadowing me in ministry, and she's not doing anything wrong, but in those early months of a baby's life, she just, she can't do everything. That, so, you know, I was the music director, so she plays the flute in the orchestra, she sings in the choir. When I teach, she's, she's beaming at me with what my mother calls <laughs> Tandy's I could eat Todd with a spoon look. And uh, I like that, <laughs> and, and I missed it. So there were, you know, it was this blend of selfishness and fear, in my case, as to why we had, didn't increase our family or trust the Lord to do so. And, and so, you know, eight years later, I'm just thinking, well, uh, what do I do just the rest of my ministry tell young men, look, it's a very private and personal decision how many children you choose to have, but, but don't make the mistake I did of being consumed by fear and unbelief. And and uh, so I, you know, so I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor in Dallas, and, and uh, he said to me, to me, well, so I just said, so I guess I'll just warn other guys. And he said, well, is there a physical issue that's keeping you all from having children? And I said, well, no, I just, and he said, then why, okay, so you've changed your mind. You'd like to have more, so have more kids, or at least attempt to do so. And, and I said, well, he said, what's stopping you? And I heard myself say, give this really profound statement. Well, what would the family pictures look like? I mean, like, like, like nine and seven and baby. And he was just like, did you just say that? And I said, yeah. And he said, Todd, how many years between my first and second child? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I've never thought about it. He said, do you think my family's weird? I said, no. He said, when I send you a Christmas card, do you go weird? And I said, no. He said, Todd, there are nine years between my first and second child. I was like, oh, I said, well, y'all had fertility issues. I, I'm just, mine's just, you know, this spiritual, you know, unbelief and fear. And he's just like, what? He said, Todd, you just need to rethink this. And so, so when we, by God's grace, became pregnant nine years after our, the delivery of our second child, this was not just, oh, we're having another baby. This was that incredible feeling of, you ever been on like a, like a merry-go-round and even before the ride stops, you know when it, as soon as, you know, momentum stops and you can feel, oh, it's slowing down, my turn is over, right? So you don't even enjoy the last two laps because all you can think of, oh, it's over. 
that that's sort of how I had felt as a dad. And it was like somebody put two more quarters in the thing and the merry-go-round started up again. So, so just unusual joy for us when the Lord blessed us with our third child, Blair. That's the princess girl whose wedding song you just heard. So maybe I should have swapped the order of these songs. But I wrote this song when, um, when we were pregnant with Blair as a lullaby that I intended to sing to her and did a thousand times as, as she was growing up. Uh, and it's just alluding to... Um, Alluding to Psalm 127, which you read this morning, that children, behold children, the fruit of the womb is a gift from God. Uh, the, the Hebrew word is an undeserved reward. So th- this song is uh, just a lullaby for Blair called Undeserved Reward. You're a blessing, not a burden. You're a treasure, not a chore. You're a love gift from the Lord, an undeserved reward. There was a time I could not see just what a joy that you would be. But now those days of fear and unbelief, they're gone. And I see that you're a blessing, not a burden. You're a treasure, not a chore. You're a love gift from the Lord, an undeserved reward. was a time I could not see just what a joy that you would be but now those days of fear and unbelief they're gone and I see that you're a blessing not a burden you're a treasure not a chore you're a love gift from the Lord an undeserved reward you're an undeserved reward you're an undeserved reward sorry lullabies are not very long All right. Well, I've had the joy of spending some time with the Quinn family this week, which means I'm going to ask, this is, this is not nepotism, right? So nobody get offended, but I'm going to ask four of the Quinn's grandchildren to come up because we have practiced a song for you. These are the cutest backup vocalists that I will ever have. <laughs> yeah, you've heard the, in show business what they say, never follow an animal act or a child act. Just think about it. I have an entire concert to do after they've left the stage, so... You ready to sing with me? 
Okay, so I was writing another lullaby for my kids when they were a little older. And uh, so this was, I, I was taking the parable from Luke 15 about the shepherd that goes and seeks for the hundred sheep. So I'm going to sing the first two verses. They're going to sing the choruses with me. And then I'm going to explain to you how the third verse of this song came to be. All righty. There once was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One of them was missing, that one he went to seek. He searched for him up high, he searched for him down low. But if, uh, sorry, I got distracted by their choreography. <laughs> but when, where the little lamb had gone, the shepherd did not know. So what did the shepherd say? So he said, Lamb, where are you, lamb? Where are you, precious little lamb? He said, Lamb, where are you, lamb? Where are you, precious little lamb? The shepherd searched the mountains high. He searched the valleys deep. The rocks, they cut his hands, and the thorns, they cut his feet. But when the shepherd found him, it was a happy day. And everywhere that you would go, you'd hear that shepherd say. Now what did the shepherd say? He said, Lamb, I found you, Lamb. I found you, precious little Lamb. He said, Lamb, I found you, Lamb, I found you, precious little Lamb. So for a couple of months, that was the whole song, those two verses. Then one day, I sang it to the kids in the rocking chair and put them to bed, and my wife said to me, you know what, baby, you're telling the, the parable, but you aren't translating the image. I think all they think it's about is a lamb and a shepherd. Why don't you, can you write another verse and translate the image? And so I did write that verse, and I, I, I picked up uh, one of the kids, put him in my lap, and I sang this to them, but I had a funny feeling I didn't know what to do when I got to the chorus. And, of course, I'm not sitting at the piano. I'm just sitting in one of my kids' rooms you know, with them on my lap. So here was the new verse. The Bible says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has sinned. We all have disobeyed. But Jesus is a shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. And Jesus paid for all my sins by dying on the cross. But then I didn't know what to do next, so I just said to the child in my lap, I said, it, it was Blair. I said, Blair, um, I don't know what to say next. I can't say, Lamb, where are you? I already said that. I can't say, Lamb, I found you. So I'm stuck. I don't know what to do next. And she said, oh, Daddy, that's easy. Lamb, I love you. And I was like, duh. So when this song grows platinum, I have to give her part of the royalties. So, so now the last one, Lamb, I found you. Are you ready? Okay. I mean, I love you. Lamb, I love you, Lamb. I love you, precious little Lamb. He said, Lamb, I love you, Lamb. I love you, precious little Lamb. Yuppie. Uh You can go now.
a song for my sons. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Do not let me wander. Do not let me wander. Do not let me wander from your Psalm one nineteen. Um, in this chapter of my life, I, I'm having the opportunity to travel more. We're almost empty nesters, and the impact of me being gone is not quite as great as it used to be. Also, because I'm, I'm no longer in charge of the worship and the music of the church down in Florida, I have the joy behind the scenes of mentoring Dr. Dan Kreider, a man who excels me in giftedness in so many ways. And, uh, and, and I, so, sometimes people say, don't you miss doing the music ministry? And it was just like... Let me explain it to you this way. The first year we were in Florida, when I'm no longer primarily focused on music ministry, uh, we had Thanksgiving together, and I remember saying to my wife, Thanksgiving night, we went to bed, this was the best Thanksgiving of my whole life. I just enjoyed it so much. And what do you think made it so different? And she said, well, sweetie, this is, this is the first Thanksgiving of your adult life. You've been doing Christmas uh, concerts, preparing Christmas concerts since you were 20 years old. This is the first Thanksgiving of your whole life that three weeks later you didn't have a major production hanging over your head. And I was like, oh. And then you could tell my, my brain starts spinning. I said, is this how the rest of the world has been? She said, yes, honey. This, this is how everyone else feels on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't miss that. So Christmas concerts roll around. I get to sit at the piano, sing one solo, play for myself. I sing in the choir. I haven't sung in a choir since I was a, at Moody Bible Institute. And watch someone else perspire. <laughs> it's just like, no, I love my new life. I, I get to do all, all the fun and none of the pressure of music ministry. And, but, uh, and so now when you're not in charge of, you know, if you're the music guy and you're out of town a Sunday, that really kind of impacts the whole church. In my present role as a family ministries guy, I can, I can be gone a couple of Sundays a year and it really doesn't, 
<laughs> no one even notices I'm not there. And so, uh, so I'm getting to travel more. But in the early days of my ministry, when I traveled very little, it was a, it was a really big deal, especially leaving the kids. That was just something I didn't enjoy. And so when I would leave, I would always leave a love note on the, on the table, one for each child. And basically, it was a tender way of threatening them within an inch of their life if they disobeyed their mom while I was gone. And so it was just this reminder, look, oh, I'm gone. Daddy loves you. Daddy will be back. And while I'm gone, I want you to obey your mommy. And so um, when the kids got older, they started asking me questions about the Bible, and I just started thinking, you know what? An easy way to describe Scripture to them is that the Bible is just like those love notes Daddy leaves on the table. Here's a love note. I love you. I'm gone. I'm coming back. And while I'm gone, I want you to obey. And if you think about it, that's what your Bible says. I love you. I'm gone. I'm coming back. And while you're waiting, I want you to obey. And so, uh, so this just kind of answering the kids' questions as they began to talk about, you know, trusting in a God they couldn't see and just early, innocent questions. How do I know the Bible is God's word? And this was just uh, me as, a, as a, a dad of young kids trying to answer their questions. hard to understand about the God you say who loves me and who made me with his hand but God seems so big and heaven's far away yet you tell me that he loves me and hears me when I pray but I can't see God I can't touch him I can't hold his hand And I can't hear him talking to me Daddy, I don't understand Well, just like Daddy leaves a love note on the kitchen table whenever he goes away to remind you that I love you and that I'm coming back soon and I want you to obey just like me your heavenly father left a letter and every word is true you'll find it written in the pages of the holy bible god the father's love note just for you Understand about the very words of God Almighty held within your tiny hands. In its pages, true wisdom you will find, and all the answers to life's questions written there in every line. So hide his word within your heart, and you won't. And when your path 
meet your way For just like Daddy leaves a love note On the kitchen table Whenever he goes away To remind you that I love you that I'm coming back soon and I want you to obey just like me your heavenly father left a letter and every word is true you'll find it written in the pages of the Holy Bible God the Father's love know just for you For just like me Your heavenly Father Left a letter and every word is true You'll find it written in the pages Of the Holy Bible God the Father's love know just for you. I haven't sung that song in 20 years. <laughs> Thank you. Great excuse. Thank you, Lance. Great idea. Thank you. I think I included this song um, in a scripture song concert I did, so if you'll forgive me for repeating it, but this song represents uh, our first child going off to college, and uh, I sent my son to my alma mater. I'm a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, and so my son went off to Moody, and uh, I was just a basket case during the whole process of saying goodbye to him. Uh, if I've told you this story, forgive me, I'm an old man repeating myself now, but but there was this chapel ceremony in Tory Gray where we sang uh, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, written by a Moody graduate. And so it's this, parents, this is the final thing. You need to say goodbye to your kids, and now you are, you are, you are dismissed. And so I, I, this room is filled with memories, chapel messages that had major impact in my spiritual Christian life singing uh, the, the, the tenor solos for Handel's Messiah and Candlelight and Carols. Just that room's just filled with memories for me. So then add the layer of saying goodbye to your firstborn child, and I was just a blubbering idiot. And so we're standing and singing, and I'm crying, and my son leans over to me. He says, uh, Dad, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm, I'm fine. And he said, I'll take your word for it on that. And so I continued to cry, and he looked over me. He says, Dad, this is hard for me too. What I need right now is a rock. And what I have is SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and that made me laugh, and I quit crying. It worked great. Meanwhile, I look over at my wife, and she's just like, steady. She's fine. She doesn't look hard, but she's not. There's no mascara running down her face. She's not doing an Alice Cooper imitation or anything. And <laughs> so I'm just like, how are you doing this? And so we, we finally leave, and in the rearview mirror, the skyline of Chicago gets smaller and smaller. We're driving from Illinois back to Arkansas. And now we're in the middle of cornfields, the middle of nowhere, Illinois, headed home, and we're hungry, so we stop at a McDonald's, and, uh, and the kids have fallen asleep, so now we wake up, we go in to eat, and uh, we placed our order, and I go and find a table and sit down with the, the kids, and Tandy comes to the table with some napkins and straws and mascara running down her face. I said, what happened? 
happened? I'm think, picturing that the guy at the counter was rude to her or something. I said, what happened? She says, I only needed six straws instead of seven. It's like, that's the moment it hit her. Our family shape just got permanently altered. And uh, so, so um, I, I write a Christmas song every year for, for our, uh, the family. And so th- when it came to write that year's Christmas song, so I usually start in November anticipating him coming home for the holidays. I tell you what hit me in a new way was, you know, I took my son and put him in probably the safest, healthiest spiritual environment I could have found for him with professors who would love him and, and, and truth surrounding him. And, and even though you're in downtown Chicago, I mean, the, the school itself is a fortress. It's a safe place. And the campus is connected with underground tunnels. In the month of February, we all behave like moles, and you, just, <laughs> you don't come outside. And, and so I left him in a very safe environment, yet it was hard for me to sort of usher forth my son. And, and I just started comparing that to what the father did when he sent forth his son. Uh, he sent it forth his son not into a world that was going to receive him. It wasn't a safe, fortress environment. He sent his son into a world that he knew would reject him and be the means they would kill him in hatred. God would use that death to be the, the, the redemption of his people. And so just comparing, I, I know how hard it was for me to separate from my son. Just, just increase my appreciation for God sending forth his son. And so I, I turned to the book of Galatians, and in chapter 4, there's that great verse that says, when the fullness of time had come. That's the word for when, like when, a, when a fruit is ripe. When the, when the time was not just right, but ripe. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. And that verb sent forth, the... the, the the noun form of that verb is the word we get apostle from. The apost- an apostle is someone who's sent forth on a mission. And God apostled Jesus into the world on a search and rescue mission for sinners like us. And so, so just trying to express my gratitude in this particular Christmas holiday for, for just a, a deeper appreciation of, uh, of what it meant for God to send his son, not into the safe world of Moody Bible Institute, but to the world you and I live in. Lord, in the wisdom of your infinite mind And in your own appointed time When all you'd purposed finally had come to pass The time was ripe at last You sent Jesus out of heaven down to earth to save us you sent him on a mission that was clear you sent him as a sacrifice to suffer and redeem us you sent him far away to draw us near you sent forth your son Into a world you knew would hate him You sent forth your son So that we might be reconciled You sent forth your only son To die for undeserving men When the fullness of time had come You sent forth 
Submissive to your law day by day. He perfectly obeyed, and by his righteous life, he had the power to redeem us from all the the law would threaten or demand. And on his bloody cross, he absorbed your anger for us the wrath deserved for breaking your commands you sent forth your son into a world you knew would hate him you sent forth your son so that we might be reconciled you sent forth your only son to die for undeserving men when the fullness of time had come you sent forth your us adoption and made us part of your family no longer slaves for now we are your sons yet we're more than sons we're heirs of all the heavenly glory and our father is a heartfelt cry you send forth your son into a world you knew would hate him you sent forth your son so that we might be reconciled you sent forth your only son to die for undeserving men when the of time had come when the fullness of time had come when the fullness of time had come you sent forth your son Thank you for sending forth your son.
A few years ago, my family and I were actually at Disney World spending a day. For us, think about this, uh, Disney World's two hours and 15 minutes from my house, which means if we get season passes, we can go and actually treat it like a park. The rest of the world, you know what it's like, you live close to Disneyland, everybody else has to go and we're never doing this again as long as we live, so we have to do everything. We have the joy of going up, spending a day, doing what we want to do, and coming back home. We don't have to conquer everything. And, but there's one trip and there's one place at Disney World that every time my family walks by, we all sort of wince together. And that was, I was, I was standing, I was standing in, in Fantasyland and received a phone call from a dear and precious friend, Dave and Amy Temple. I've known Amy since she was 18 months old. One of the joys of being in Little Rock so long, I was there for 28 years. By the time I was leaving, I was literally doing weddings for children who I held in my arms when they were an hour old. And so Amy was 18 months old when we moved to Arkansas. And, and 28 years later, the, she and her husband, Dave, who are now missionaries serving, uh, training pastors in Malawi, the poorest nation in Africa. And uh, they called to say that, um, that they had just... Uh, they had just delivered a stillborn child. And so we, we packed up, we checked out of our hotel, and we, we ran back home to be with them. And uh, we were there just in just the hours after their grief. They, they did a home delivery. And the day before, the, the midwife had, had checked the baby, heartbeat, and everything was fine. And the Lord just decided to take little Cora Joy Temple home to be with himself inexplicably. And so we sat with them and cried with them, and, uh, and uh, they just described what had happened in the hours while we had, it had taken us to drive back home. They said that, that uh, you know, the coroner was very kind, and they actually, they called a photographer in the church, and they took family pictures together with this little one, and they wanted the siblings who had been very excited about the baby, they wanted their, the siblings to understand that, that here's, the little, here's your little sister, and God has chosen to, to spare her living this life and take her straight to heaven. And so the kids are trying to grasp it. They're back in bed. We're trying to grasp it. They were, you know, we're, we're almost like surrogate parents to Amy and Dave. And so our heart's just you know, breaking for them. And so, so Dave, Dave said this. He said there was this moment, and the coroner was very kind. He just said, you, I'm here. I'll sit here all night if you want. Whenever you're ready, then I'll take the baby. And after a few hours, Amy wrapped the baby. And he said, when I watched Amy hand Cora Joy to the coroner, I know my eyes were seeing my wife hand my baby to a, a civil official. But in my mind and my heart, what I choose to see was my wife was placing Cora Joy back in the hands of God. This is your baby. She was never mine. And placing her back in God's hands. Dave's an amazing man of God. And at uh, Cora Joy's funeral, he, he stood at her graveside and, and he, he, he read some words. He basically read a letter to Cora Joy. And one of the things he said is, we're, we're going to miss watching you grow up. I was looking so forward to teaching you so many things. But you now know things that you could teach me. And he just said, you know, I, I, just, I just, sure, we're going to miss that. Uh, there's some things about this wicked world I'm glad that you'll never taste and never know. And so, I mean, Dave just responded with monumental maturity. I asked him the day after the funeral, I said, Dave, can I have a copy of the letter that you wrote? And so I took that letter and I, and I turned it into a song. And Dave's letter didn't rhyme, but I've made Dave's words rhyme. And so we can't, we can't do a concert about family and children and not admit together that sometimes the children we love don't stay with us as long as we would like. And so... 
musically, this is, uh, there was, uh, you know, we just did a graveside service for just family and close friends. And, and in, in this, there's a part of this cemetery that's very near my home, and that, that entire part of the cemetery is given to families who have stillborn children. They don't charge them for the plot. They don't charge them for the service, which is very kind. And, and so there are a lot of little children's graves there. And hanging in the tree, there are some decorations and teddy bears and stuff like that. But hanging in the tree was this little wind chime. And on the day that I was conducting the funeral service for Cora Joy, the, the wind chime just, you know, chimes basically all sound the same. And so you just kind of hear this while we were talking and praying and crying and laughing. And so... <clears throat> I wanted to weave that. That was memorable to all of us. So I, I kind of weaving this little wind chime into the, into the piano accompaniment. And so this is called The Loving Hands of God. Little one, you were fashioned in secret You were fearfully and wonderfully made And your little frame with skill knit together Through your little life, God's handiwork was displayed. Though we will miss the simple joys of watching you learn and grow, you now could teach us countless things we long to know. Though our arms will always yearn To hold you close to our hearts We place you back into the loving hands of God Little one, you're a gift from the Father in his book, all your days were ordained. As we thanked the Lord when he gave you to us, we must bless his name when he takes away. Though we will miss the simple joys of watching you learn and grow you could now teach us countless things we long to know and though our arms will always yearn to hold you close to our hearts we place you back into the loving hands of God. In this world we live cluttered and crippled, but in heaven you're unfettered and free. You have helped 
Loose our earthbound affections What we by faith believe Your eyes now see Though we will miss the simple joys of watching you learn and grow You could now teach us countless things we long to know And though our arms will always ache To hold you close to our hearts We place you back into the loving hands of God <clears throat> With thanks we gaze Into the loving heart of God One of the men who has had the most influence on both Lance and I's life is a man named Dr. George Zimmick. We had the pleasure of serving with him in Little Rock for 10 years, and then two years before Lance would come back to California and I would uh, transition to Florida, Doctors, Dr. Zimmick, we call him Dr. Z. Dr. Z and his wife, Judy, uh, they, they moved down to Florida, and then eventually, surprisingly to me, the Lord would reunite us there. And this past year, Dr. Zimmick uh, crossed a, a significant threshold, 50 years of training men for gospel ministry. And so it was appropriate as a church. We wanted to honor him. So it was great. On a Sunday morning, instead of doing uh, two morning services, we did one morning service where Jerry preached a special sermon about what it takes to, to be faithful and steadfast over the long haul of ministry, something obviously that Dr. Zimmick is exemplary of. And then in the second hour, instead of having a duplicate worship service, we just brought uh, Dr. Z and Jerry up on stage, and Jerry interviewed him, and folks had a chance to hear his, his testimony, hear about their early marriage, and just reminiscing about really not his faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to, to Dr. Z. And knowing that this occasion was coming, I knew that I wanted to write a song, and Dr. Zimmick has written several books, but perhaps his... Uh, one of his most significant books is a book that he wrote on Psalm 119, the longest of the 150 psalms, 176 verses long. Every verse in that psalm uses some synonym for the Word of God, God's Word, His testimonies, His statutes, His law. And it's a monument to, to the psalmist's delight in the Word of God in the midst of suffering. It's really the longest lament psalm in the Bible. Don't overlook Psalm 119 if you're, in a, if, you're, if you're struggling, if you're in a dark place and struggling through a tough affliction, Psalm 119 can be an amazing friend to you because it isn't just a guy in an ivory tower saying, oh, I just love the Bible. It's a guy saying, I love your word when I feel like a wineskin in the smoke. When princes are persecuting me, when people are lying about me, when my life makes no sense whatsoever to me, that's when I love and cling to your word. It's, it's an amazing psalm. 
And so knowing how much he loved it, I, I wanted to take some verses out of Psalm 119 and, and set them to music. 176 seemed a little extreme. So I kept, I, I just combed through and I would jot down ideas if I could do all the verses about how God's word teaches us. I mean, he's been a teacher his whole life, a professor, so maybe that would work. And I looked at him and I just didn't like them. I thought about, well, we could take up all the verses where, where the psalmist says, I need to be taught. Lord, I, I need you to teach me. And I, I didn't love those either. And, and I just decided, you know what, I don't want to do random verses. I think I'm just going to, so you know, the psalm is divided into, into trunks of verses. It's divided into eight verse sections. And each of those sections, so verses one through eight, will all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verses then nine through, you do the math, that's complicated, nine through 16, uh, that, that would be the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So as I'm trying to decide what to do, I, I had jotted down just a couple of verses I really liked. And one of them was this beautiful aspect. Here's this man who's been sojourning with God for 50 years. And there's this beautiful verse that says, Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Which is such a beautiful, poetic, and ironic thing. If, well, you're either a pilgrim or you have a house. He says, no, my dwelling place is my pilgrimage. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. So I really, really, I thought, man, I really like that verse. And so I went and I found, and here's what I discovered. This is so musician, composition, nerdness here, all right? So Joel, you may be the only person in the room who appreciates this. The stanza that that verse, your statutes are my song in, is in the, to the eight verses that all begin with the letter Z. I thought, well, that's just confirmation. We call him Dr. Z, so we're going to set the Z stanza of Psalm 119 for him. And then just one more piece of musical nerdness. I wanted, I wanted musically, it needed to sound steady. Dr. Z is not a flashy man. He's just a steady man of deep conviction. So musically, I just was trying to reflect steadiness. And so I came up with, with this figure. You'll hear this through it, so... It's 50 years of steadiness, right? And this note that keeps playing, I mean, I'm sorry, it's a G. And his name is George Zemix, and now we got a G, and we got a Z. I didn't mean for this to happen, but it happened. <laughs> and my wife is going to be so shocked, you told them that? <laughs> One more thing, Judy is, is every bit his co-partner in ministry. The Lord never allowed George and Judy to have children of their own, but they've adopted Students like Lance and me and my kids, and my kids are like grandkids to them. My grandkids are like great-grandkids to them. We've, we've vacationed together. We've lived life together. They're, they're just really precious to our family. And so I knew I needed to include Judy in some way, so the melody sort of goes like this. So every time you hear my right hand echo what my voice does, that's Judy chirping in. So that's the Judy echo. Now, you, now you've got the full-orbed what's happening here. So, Your statutes are my songs. Psalm 119, verses 49 to 56. Servant, 
promised word on which you've made me hope. This is my comfort in all my affliction. Your comfort is, my comfort is your word that makes me live. The arrogant deride me, they utterly deride me. But from your law I have not turned aside. Your statutes are my song in the house of my pilgrimage. They carry me along as I sojourn on the earth. Your word is worthy of my praise throughout all my pilgrim days till I'm home where I belong. Your statutes are my song. Lord, I remember your judgments of old, and your proven words bring comfort to my soul. I'm seized with indignation. I burn with holy anger at the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my song in the house of my pilgrimage. They carry me along as Turn on the earth. Your word is worthy of my praise throughout all my pilgrim days. Till I'm home where I belong, your statutes are my song. Lord, I remember. Your name in the night And my meditation It helps me keep your law This blessing now is mine That I observe your precepts And by your grace I'm able to Your statutes are my song in the house of my pilgrimage. They carry me along as I sojourn on the earth. Your word is worthy of my praise throughout all my pilgrim days till I'm home where I belong. Your statutes will be my songs 
Until I'm home where I belong Your statutes are They are my songs Your statutes are my songs Your statutes are my songs Your statutes are my songs I don't know what the music to Psalm 119 sounded like, but one of the great things about setting Scripture to music is well, A, it's a great memory tool. It's the most painless way to learn Scripture you could imagine. And, and for me as a songwriter, the great thing is if I set Scripture to music and you don't like the song, I mean, if you don't like the music, I can live with that. But if you have a problem with the words, you, you have a bigger problem than me. So. And just as a kind of a lazy man, if you're songwriting, you have to write words and music. You're, it's twice as much work. If you open your Bible and set Scripture to music, at least the text is there for you. So. Beth, I thought, just as I was preparing the concert, I just thought, you know what? You've talked about meditating in the night like that's that song does, and you're in the house of your pilgrimage, I'm in the house of my pilgrimage, and, but that, that beautiful line, till I'm home where I belong, his statutes will continue to be your song. So, so uh, I, I, just a couple more songs. Uh, Hallelujah, What a Savior is a hymn I have always loved, but i got to confess that musically it's a bit of a disappointment. It, it has at the end what's called a plagal cadence. So in this, a plagal cadence goes like this. It's kind of what we knew as the, as the amen. Amen. It doesn't have a lot of power. It doesn't have the power of this cadence. That feels very finished. This is a little weak. And so it, it always disappointed me. Such a great text. You build to the apex and then you go, Hallelujah, what a sin. It was just like, what is happening here? So it struck me as, hallelujah, what a bummer. This melody needed to soar. So it may sound very presumptuous to take an old hymn and, and set. I'm not saying my melody's better, but at least it goes up at the end. So. Man of sorrows, what a name For the Son of God who came Ruined sinners to reclaim Hallelujah What a Savior Bearing shame and scoffing in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amazing love, how can he? be that thou my God shouldst die for me. 
Guilty, vile, and helpless we Spotless Lamb of God was He Full atonement can it be Hallelujah What a Savior I need no I need no other plea It is enough that my Jesus died And that he died for me Lifted up was he to die It is finished was his cry now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. And when he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then a new song we'll sing hallelujah what a savior hallelujah what a savior we'll sing hallelujah what a I said, at least it goes up at the end. Well, I think we'd be amiss not to agree together again what I know you have already marveled at, and that is, I was just looking at this, Beth, today. On February 23rd, 2018, at the piano in your kitchen, I finished writing your song, and I had no idea that I would possibly get to sing a concert for you in 2019. It's just, I just marveled. Uh, the Lord is just showing off <laughs> and trying to blow the mind of one Dr. Slomowicz. <laughs> He's just got no category for what the Lord has chosen to do in his goodness. And we don't want to be presumptuous, but I don't mind. Just keep asking God, all right, all you're doing is encouraging my faith. Bring it on, Lord. So let's, let's, let's plan for a concert in 2020 and see what the Lord has. So, so I, I, just, I, I, I just had to do the song again. But here's the marvelous thing. I wrote this for Beth in 2018, and I have gotten to minister with this song so many times over the last almost two years. Most remarkably for, uh, I met a woman in, uh, I was doing a conference at one of our seminary graduates up in Squamish, British Columbia. It's about an hour north of Vancouver, beautiful area. And last year when I was there teaching at, you know, one of our alumni there, and, uh, and uh, he introduced me to this couple from South Africa, a woman who looked perfectly healthy, and she explained to me that she had just come out of several years of remission and was, was you know, headed into what she called a cul-de-sac. There are no more treatment options for me, and so she looks fine, but she's, she's gravely ill. And so, of course, my face fell, and I said, I'm so sorry. And this woman looked at me, sincere as could be, and said, 
with a beautiful, people from South Africa have a beautiful accent. And she just said, oh, don't be sorry. She said, I have the opportunity to do now something I'll never be able to do in heaven. I was completely stumped. I said, well, what is that? And just big grin on her face, she said, praise him through suffering. I was just like smitten. And she said, in heaven, I'll praise him in bliss and joy and perfection, but only now do I have this window to praise him while I suffer. And I'm determined to get it right. I just looked at her and I just said, why don't I sit down and you preach? Because I, I don't think I have anything to say. I mean, this was an amazing, amazing. So I had the opportunity. Uh, everyone left the church. And uh, I said, look, you don't even know me. I said, but I, I wrote this song last year for, for a, a dear, dear friend of mine. And I would, could I sing it for you? It's just kind of scripture set to music. And, and so I, I, I sang it for them. And Beth, I didn't finish telling you this this morning, but I didn't remember this, but they recorded it on their phone. And, uh, and so uh, she did go to be with the Lord last year. And in God's amazing providence, I was in Squamish again this past September. And I got to sing it again at her memorial service with her family. And, and her husband came up to me at the, the day before he attended the conference I was teaching. And uh, he, he, said, did, he said, did you remember that we recorded the song? And I said, no. And he said, well, you know, my wife had asked if by any chance Todd is around for my memorial. I would love to have him sing that song. He said, so I opened my phone. I wanted to listen to it again. And he said, exactly one year to the day, you'll be singing it at her funeral. It was just like, there's nothing magic about that. It just, just points out the faithfulness of God and... So, Beth, your song is already ministering to many others, and uh, I know you're glad that it has kind of taken on a life of its own, but forever it will be, it will be your song. So that's how we call it at our house, Beth's song. So this is a setting of several passages, including most notably Paul's verses, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As my life is poured out as an offering, my departure time draws near. I will fight the good fight. I will finish my course. I will keep the faith. For I know there's a crown laid up for me Which the Lord, the righteous judge Will award me that day With the saints from each age Who love the thought of His return For me to Christ for me to die his gain while it is better to depart yet for your sake I would remain so my heart is torn in two to think my time on earth might be through For I want to be with Christ 
yet I long to stay with you. I'm so glad I'm not the one to choose. As I walk through death's valley of shadows, I know you're my shepherd still. There's no evil to fear, for I know you are near. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. For your goodness and your loving kindness, they have pursued me all my days. Yet when this life has passed, and when I breathe my last, I'll be forever home with you. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. While it is better to depart, yet for your sake I would remain. To think my time on earth might be through For I want to be with Christ And yet I long to stay with you I'm so glad I'm not the one to choose And though I cry to think that in the coming years I'll miss the milestones of your lives But then I smile to think <laughs> That what's reserved for me Can never fade or be defiled For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain While it is better to depart Yet for your sake I would remain So my heart is torn in two to think my time on earth might be through For I want to be with Christ And yet I long to stay with you I'm so glad I'm not the one to choose
Amen. And one final song. I was years ago reading a book uh, on Paul's prayers by Don Carson. It's called Praying with Paul. I love this book. If you've never read this book, this is in the top 10 of my whole life. And it's just an exposition of every one of Paul's prayers in the New Testament. Just, just so very, very helpful. Uh, a very practical chapter on just what he does. He has so many students. He trains at Trinity Seminary and And uh, students are always asking, will you remember me when I graduate? Will you pray with me? And he just gives practical tips for how you keep up with prayer requests long term. Super helpful. The best chapter ever, ever, answering the question, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? If God already knows what's going to happen, why do we pray? The the most profound biblical answers to that, that natural question that comes to our mind. So I love this book. And he was just pointing out one of the major themes in Paul's prayers is that he's constantly referring to the return of Christ, constantly referring to heaven. Just a, there's just a heavenly mindedness in the New Testament writers that is sorely lacking in our life. We're, we're much too root bound, much too rooted to this world. And uh, it's, just, it's just a joy refreshing to read the apostles just just fixed and convinced he could come back any day and so it's a, a final song uh, I kind of had you in mind again I haven't, I haven't sung this song for 23 years I figured out uh, my voice has changed enough I had to knock it down a key it was too, too high even for me and so I, I transposed it in your kitchen the other day and we'll see how that goes by the way and uh, but this song's called the the final generation it, you don't have to have a life-threatening disease to be required by God to be a heavenly-minded Christian. Have you noticed how many great hymns? They, they could be a hymn about the love of God, and the last verse says, and then there's heaven. It could be a hymn about Jesus paid it all, and then there's heaven. It could be the hymn, my Jesus, I love thee, and then there's heaven. We need more of that, and this was my attempt to kind of to weave that into my life, a song called The, the Final Generation. is a thread that runs through the scriptures within the fabric of each and every page a firm conviction that this whole world is passing and we are nearing the end of the age each chapter and verse Weaves its holy fixation With the future of God's plan for mankind Each line is hymned in With the preoccupation Christ's return is just a matter of time So I must take Every thought captive And rearrange my mind To focus on eternity And not be trapped in time I need a vision of forever So I'll know how to measure The value of the choices I'm making today I need a hope that's fixed completely on my eternal destiny. Investing all my treasure in the world that's yet to be. Waiting with anticipation 
for Christ's revelation. We could be the final generation. There's no denying Scripture's focus on the future. It makes a mockery of earthly things held dear. This world is not our home. We're aliens. We are strangers. Waiting for our Lord and Master to appear. But I live so much of my life with no thought of your coming. Caught up in all that's mundane. Lord, I fail to believe. Lord, my heart is so short-sighted. And heaven seems so far away. So I must take every thought captive and rearrange my mind to focus on eternity and not be trapped in time. I need a vision of forever so I'll know how to measure the value of the choices I make today. I need a hope that's fixed completely on my eternal destiny. Investing all my treasure in the world that's yet to be. Waiting with anticipation for Christ's revelation. We could be the final generation. He is not to keep his promise it's mercy that makes him to delay for a thousand years is like a day yes to God a thousand years is but a day and so we must Take every thought captive and rearrange our minds to focus on eternity and not be trapped in time. We need a vision of forever so we'll know how to measure the value of the choices we're making today. We need a hope that's fixed completely on our eternal destiny. Investing all our treasure in the world that's yet to be. Waiting with anticipation for Christ's revelation. We could be the final generation. Cause we could be final generation 
Father, make us those kind of people. (laughs) We are caught up in the mundane, even as believers living sometimes compromised and worldly lives. Lord, in your mercy, for your glory, make us have this heavenly-minded set of the apostles, the hymn writers, those who agreed that, that, that the sweet things we see in Scripture make a mockery of so much that we hold dear. Lord, we don't want to have to have a a life-threatening disease to awaken us to the reality that heaven is coming, your return is imminent, and that you could come back before any of us actually face death. We could be that generation that's caught up in the air to meet you. And Lord, if we really believed that, we would live holier lives. 1 John 3 says that everyone who has the hope of the imminent return of Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. So, Lord, may thoughts of heaven make us live holy lives in the here and now. Lord, bless Bethany Bible Church. Bless my precious friends, Lance and Beth and their family. As they continue to trust you, just for your will to unfold, we thank you again for multiplying Beth's days beyond anything any of us could imagine. Thank you, Father. Please, We just presume, it's not presumptuous, we just have confidence in you and just say, Lord, continue to multiply her days to your glory. And so, Father, thank you for for adding recently the Bridge Church, for adding Chris and his precious wife and other leaders. I pray for the, the inevitable growing pains that come with blending churches together. God, help them through their growing pains and make this to be a sweet, unified church in years to come where nobody will look back and say, which part of that church did you come from? That it'll just be one new beautiful thing and we'll be patient while we wait and just pray that you continue. Thank you for 13 people joining the church today. What a thrill to see. So Lord, bring them to this ministry and feed them with this ministry and help them serve not only one another but the world around them. Lord, bless Bethany Bible Church. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming.